a whole lot is happening in the Jewish world today. We'll cover it and take your Jewish-related calls. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on this Thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. Phone lines are open. Any Jewish-related question, that's the only parameter, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. I invite you to call if you've heard crazy things about the Jewish people or about rabbinic literature or about the state of Israel that concern you. By all means, give us a call, 866-34-TRUTH. We'll talk a little later in the broadcast about the gathering of about 90,000 traditional Jews in New York City yesterday at a stadium event celebrating seven and a half years of daily reading of the Talmud, going through the entire Talmud in seven and a half years, which is ridiculously fast-paced, but this has been done now by many thousands of religious Jews. They celebrated the culmination of that yesterday. We'll talk about that, but but uh, <clears throat> first and foremost, let's revisit what has happened in 2019. Anti-Semitism on the rise worldwide, anti-Semitism on the rise in America, violent anti-Semitism on the rise. An Orthodox Jewish friend in New York texted me the other day, so glad that we're speaking out about these things and speaking up concerning them, and said, you have no idea what a big issue this is in the Orthodox community. People are afraid to let their kids go out, afraid to walk the streets themselves alone. He was beaten, attacked randomly and beaten Last year himself, uh, he's concerned about his own children. This is a major issue. Listen to some Jews in New York talking about what's been happening. There's a lot of fear right now within the Jewish community in Brooklyn, uh, and they're not sure what's next. I'm very afraid to go out at night because, you know, we don't know what's going to be if if this is something that's going to keep on happening. We know as Jews that um, we're not safe anywhere, really. So, you know, we just hope and pray that that... The government and everybody can do their best to keep us safe. I'm a child of a Holocaust survivor, and these things mean a lot to us. There was always hate crimes, but lately the rise and the percentage of what's going on is dramatic. I want you to feel the weight of this so you can pray and stand with the Jewish people, in particular if you're a Christian in the New York area. This is a great time to let your Jewish friends know, hey, we're here with you. We've got your back. Now, I saw some video footage that was posted, absolutely sickening, one event after another of Jews. There's being, a lot of fear right now within of, the Jewish community in Brooklyn. Jews uh, being, and they're not sure right, hang what's... On, we've got, all right, just a little accidental interruption there. Uh, I've seen some really frightening video footage. You wonder why the whole nation isn't alerted to this. But just so you can feel the weight of this, just so you can experience this, I'm, I'm just going to read you from a newspaper report, anti-Semitic events, violent events, attacks in New York in 2019. January 8th, a stranger attacks a 13-year-old Jewish girl on the street in Brooklyn, grabbing her neck and slapping her in the face. January 14th, a 19-year-old Jewish man is attacked by a group of teens in Brooklyn. January 17th, a Jewish man walking down the street is randomly attacked. February 17th, the windows of a synagogue in Brooklyn are smashed. March 11th, 
A man kicks a Jewish woman's stroller in Brooklyn with a small child inside. March 15th, in Brooklyn, a subway poster of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg is defaced with a swastika and the message, Die Jew blank. May 1st, a man chases two Jewish teens down the street, allegedly for not moving out of his way. When a man intervened, the person chasing the girls yelled about the Jewish cult and spit at him. May 4th, four teens attack a Jewish man in Brooklyn. May 7th, an Orthodox man walking along the street is sucker-punched in the head by a stranger. May 12th, a Hasidic man and his four young sons are harassed on the street by high school students yelling, I love Hitler. May 20th, at first I thought this was the same incident as the one above. This is a report by John JohnSextonHotAir.com. At first I thought this was the same incident as the one above, but the details and date appear to be different. Four men in the car follow a pair of Jewish teens shouting, we love Hitler. June 1st, a teen on a bicycle came up behind a Jewish man and slapped his yarmulke off his head. June 15th, two men drive down a Brooklyn neighborhood at night, threatening and harassing Jews on the street. June 24th, a Hasidic teen is punched in the head and robbed on the street. August 12th, a string of robberies on a Monday morning. All of the victims are Jewish, but police decide the motive was robbery. August 27th, a stranger attacked a Jewish man named Abraham Gopin in Crown Heights, punching him several times and hitting him with a brick. The victim lost two teeth in the attack. August 31st, a man leaving a synagogue in Brooklyn is attacked by two men with a belt. September 18th, a 24-year-old Hasidic man is attacked in Brooklyn by a group of four. October 1st, a group of teens break windows in a synagogue during Rosh Hashanah prayers. October 12th, another random attack in Brooklyn. The incident took place on Saturday afternoon. The Jewish man by, was attacked by a black male riding a bicycle. He crossed in front of the Jewish man on his bike, slapped him, and said, You dirty Jew. November 9th, a man breaks windows at a Jewish school for girls. November 14th, police arrest an 18-year-old for throwing eggs at Jewish people on the street in Brooklyn. November 20th, a Hasidic man is beaten and stabbed by a stranger. December 3rd, a group of teens are caught throwing rocks at a Jewish school bus full of kids in Brooklyn. December 10th, two people enter a Jewish market in Jersey City and begin shouting. Four people were killed, including a detective shot in another location. The mayor of Jersey City later says it appears the shooters intended to enter a Jewish school next door. Fortunately, the door was locked. December 12th, an Israeli man is harassed and attacked on the subway by a woman who allegedly said it was a shame the Jersey City attackers hadn't killed more Jews. December 23rd, Stephen George, 28 of Miami, allegedly shouted, F you, Jew bastard, as he punched and kicked a 65-year-old Jewish man who was wearing a yarmulke. That night in Williamsburg, two Jewish boys were attacked by two teens who punched the younger boy in the stomach. December 24th, a group of teens throws a chair at a Jewish man, then chase him and punch him in the face. December 25th, on Christmas Day, a 40-year-old man dressed in traditional religious clothing walking home was approached by an individual who blocked his path. That individual allegedly punched the victim in the face when the man tried to let him pass. December 26th, a homeless woman rants and hits a Jewish woman in the face with a handbag. December, oh, let me go on. Ayanna Logan, 43, is charged with third-degree assault for allegedly yelling out an anti-Semitic slur, you effing Jew, your end is coming. Logan shouted at the woman who was with her three-year-old child, prosecutors say. December 27th, an unidentified man walked into the Chabad Lubavitch World Headquarters, approached a member of the Hasidic community, and threatened to shoot someone, the police said. A second incident involved a woman who slapped three Jewish women who were walking down the street. The woman accused of slapping three Orthodox Jewish women in the face, yelling, F.U. Jews, allegedly approached three women aged 22, 26, and 31 near Eastern Parkway in Kingston Avenue early Friday, then slapped them and barked the offensive expletive, cops said. December 28th, five people are stabbed at the rabbi's home in Munson, New York, Police later arrest Grafton Thomas, who had written anti-Semitic comments in a journal, found at his home, along with searches for Hitler on his phone. 
December 30th, two men yelled, hey, Jew boy, at a Jewish teen's. A pair of goons flashed a knife as they yelled, hey, Jew boy, at a Brooklyn teen. The latest in a string of unsettling anti-Semitic incidents in the Big Apple, law enforcement's enforcement sources said Tuesday. You say, uh, uh, why aren't we hearing more about this nationally? Why is it only when there's a synagogue shooting or the kosher market shooting or the stabbing? uh, Why aren't we hearing more about these things? Well, there is one theory as to why you're not hearing more, because it is not primarily coming from white supremacists. Now, we know that white supremacists hate Jews. We know that white supremacists have committed violent acts against Jews, like the synagogue shooters. All right. We know that. And of course, the media is all over that. Rightly so. Just as someone would go into a church and start shooting people up there, the media would be all over that. At least should be. Rightly so. We know that Hitler was was not black. He was white. We know that Stalin with his Jew purge was not black. He was white. That narrative, the media is ready to go with, especially when it points to white supremacy and white nationalism, and then they can try to tie it back to Donald Trump. But in these instances in New York, the vast majority of them have been committed by blacks. So, again, we understand that anti-Semitism transcends race, transcends color, transcends ethnicity. We understand that. All right. I'm not saying this is a black problem or a white problem. This is a human problem and inspired by Satan himself. All right. My point is, and, and others have talked about this, even Jake Tapper has raised it on, on the left and David French on the right. They've raised this issue of it doesn't play into the narrative that the media wants to pursue, namely to blame all of this on the right, on the alt-right, on white supremacists, on white nationalists. That fits better their narrative from the left. All right? But when you have either people on the left or people who vote Democrat, or people who are not white nationalists, white supremacists, people who are black, if it's any of the above, and they're the ones involved in the tax, well, that doesn't fit into the media narrative, and therefore it's not going to get as much attention. So it's up to us to get the word out. It's up to us to speak up together, to say, yeah, we, we've heard a lot about different individuals. We've heard a lot about racist issues and systemic problems in America, which need to be addressed. We need to also say Jewish lives matter. It is absolutely time to say that. So I want to urge you, if you live in a Jewish community, if you have Jewish colleagues, friends, if there's a local synagogue, especially if you're a pastor or a Christian leader, but simply as a believer, not to proselytize, not to, not to go to preach to people, but to simply say to your Jewish neighbors, we are standing with you. We deplore this violence It is completely contrary to our faith and to the spirit of Jesus. And as Christians, we stand together with the Jewish community. And after all, the one that we believe in as the Savior of the world is a Jew himself. It will go a long way if you do that. And let your words carry weight, the the weight of conviction. It will go a long way to, to sending a message because through history, the church has often been on the wrong side of this. Through history, many professing Christians were the ones persecuting the Jews and stirring up violence against the Jews. And there were Nazi leaders that were professing Christians and and Ukrainian leaders and Polish leaders and others in Europe that were professing Christians, hating and persecuting and murdering Jews. So send a message of gospel truth by standing together 
with Jews who are being attacked, especially in greater New York. I urge every pastor listening, every Christian leader listening, if you're in a Jewish community, go to the local synagogue, send a message firsthand to the rabbi, to leaders there, and say, hey, we stand with you against this violence, and, and, and we have your back. All right, we come back. I want to go to the phones. I want to talk about this Talmud study completion, why it's celebrated, why the Talmud is so important in Judaism, why it's so misunderstood. Any Jewish-related question of any kind that you have, by all means, give me a call, 866-348-7884. And obviously, in places like Brooklyn, to the extent black leaders and Jewish leaders can sit down face-to-face and try to get to the root of some of the issues and problems, all the better. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to The Line of Fire. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you on this thoroughly Jewish Thursday, 866-34-TRUTH. Have you read my book, Our Hands Are Stained with Blood? It is the most translated book that I have written. It has been in print continuously since 1992. By God's grace, it has deeply impacted many lives around the world. And I spent many months of research and hard work to put together an updated, revised, improved, expanded edition that just came out in September. So if you haven't read it, it's essential reading. The moment you start the first chapter, you'll you'll know, you'll realize, and you will, you'll you'll have a hard time putting the book down. As some other readers said in the past, I, I wanted to put it down, but I couldn't. Uh, that's the reality. It will also give you hope in terms of God etern- God's eternal purposes for the people of Israel, ultimately through Jesus the Messiah. All right, eight six six three four truth. Let's start in Minnesota with Paul. Welcome to the line of fire. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Um, my question has to do with uh, Jesus' ministry years. Uh, I'm wondering what life, uh, what everyday life was like for the, the Twelve and the, the many other disciples uh, with Jesus doing ministry 24-7. Uh, where did they all eat and sleep? Did they uh, periodically go back to their professions? For instance, uh, other rabbis like uh, Nicodemus, uh, practiced well drilling, uh, Paul practiced tent making, and I'm just wondering uh, if, you know, did Jesus go back to carpentry at all during the ministry years? It's a great question, and I wish we had more information, but there is no definitive, reliable information outside of what's in the New Testament. Now, we know that leaving everything was a state of heart more, more than anything else. So, for example, Matthew in Luke 5, when Yeshua says, follow me, that he gets up, he leaves everything and follows him, right? So he's, he's leaving his old life behind and following the master. Then later that day, he hosts a large feast at his house. So at that point, he didn't leave everything for good. 
On the other hand, look at look at the way Peter speaks of this in in Mark the tenth chapter. This is after the event with the rich young ruler, and when Jesus has warned about the danger of putting your trust in riches and the danger of covetousness, uh, Peter says this in Mark ten twenty eight. See, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. So as for Jesus himself, Every indication would be that he, 24-7, unless he was sleeping or meeting with his disciples privately, was teaching, preaching, healing, driving out demons. That's what he did until his crucifixion. He did not go back to carpentry or anything else. There's a continual paced ministry where he's out. It would, <laughs> excuse me, it would seem that the disciples were with him. Once he called them that they were with him, that they did not go back to, say, fishing, like Peter and John and, and some of the others, as we read at the end of John's gospel, that they went back to fishing. This is after the resurrection, but before the ascension and before they were then preaching and ministering. So um, it seems that they were probably with him all the time, that they went from place to place to place and hence had no one place to stay. But beyond that, we don't know. We don't know. And Paul, working vocationally, as, as one of the apostles, was the exception to the rule. The others were just given full-time to vocational ministry. But in the early church, the larger pattern would have been elders and others were working jobs while serving, so they would have been bivocational very commonly. But beyond that, we, we don't know, Paul. You read the same sources that I read, and there's, there's no definitive information available to us outside of that. But thank you, sir, for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Bill in... Uh, all right, we won't. Let's go to Stacy in Texas. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Uh, yes. I have a friend that was talking about the Noahide laws and how that's going to usher in the end times. She's kind of extreme on it. So I was wondering if you could explain that maybe. Oh, you bet. I've done it before, but extreme is the correct word. It is, <laughs> it is basically a conspiracy theory, fear-mongering uh, word going around the body. Now, there's some very sincere people who believe this. And if, mm -hmm. if you'll go to my website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, and type in Noahide Laws, so N-O-A-H-I-D-E. Okay. Sometimes it's spelled C-H, but I believe on our website with, without the C you'll find whole uh, broadcasts where we talk about it. But this is it in short, that traditional Judaism believes that, that at creation, God gave Adam certain commandments, and then at the flood, after the flood, he gave Noah certain commandments. And these together are called the seven Noahide laws. You can't deduce them directly from Scripture. It would be Genesis 2 and Genesis 9. Some of it is direct like the prohibition of murder in, in Genesis 9-6. Others is deduced from the text by rabbinic interpretation. But basically the laws say that you cannot commit idolatry, that you cannot blaspheme, that you cannot commit adultery or murder or steal, 
that you must establish courts of justice, that you cannot eat the limb of a living animal. Those are the, right. the basic laws. You say, and those are considered to be laws for Gentiles. In other words, if you want to be a righteous Gentile in God's sight, because according to Judaism, the righteous of all nations have a place in the world to come. So if you want to be a righteous Gentile, you keep those laws. You don't have to keep the 613 commandments that God gave to Moses at Mount Sinai for the Jewish people. You don't have to keep all of the Torah commandments. Rather, you just keep these seven commandments and you'll be considered righteous in God's sight. So adultery is a broader prohibition against sexual immorality, etc. You say, okay, so how in the world... You get from that to the idea that these are going to usher in the Antichrist and lead to persecution against Christians. That there is a stream of interpretation in Judaism that says the prohibition against idolatry includes Christianity because you're making a man into a God or God into a man. And to worship God as a trinity is idolatrous. All right, that's point one. Point two, that according to rabbinic understanding, that there is a death penalty for violating the, these laws. And Christians are unknowingly thinking, oh, well, these are fine. You know, the American government signed, yeah, these are fine. The Vatican said these are fine because Christians are thinking, yeah, yeah, we worship one God. We don't commit adultery. We don't commit idolatry. We don't do any of these wrong things. So great. We affirm this. So the theory is that everyone's going to get duped. And then there's going to be a false Messiah who comes on the scene. And that's going to be the Antichrist. And the Jews are going to follow him. And now because of that, the whole world is going to follow him. And now they're going to enact the Noahide laws, and then they're going to start beheading Christians. So the first thing is, once the Antichrist comes, and I believe we'll be here when the Antichrist comes. I don't believe in a pre-trib rapture. But once he's here, that's going to be our issue, not the Noahide laws. We know the Antichrist is going to be killing, persecuting Christians. And right now, around the world, Christians are being beheaded. That's by Islam. And they're, they're being killed by militant Hindus. They're, they're not being killed by Jews, all right? There's one Jewish state in the world, and they're not beheading Christians for being Christians. In fact, Gentile Christians can perfectly—you'd be a Messianic Jew and practice your faith in Israel and worship Jesus as Lord, and no one's going to behead you, all right? And, and the Jewish view is that when the Messiah comes, that the whole world will be led to follow him. And those Jews and Gentiles— who will not follow him, will be destroyed. And then you'll have a messianic era of peace and righteousness and, and Muslims will renounce their errors and Christians will renounce their errors and, and the Jewish people will lead the world in, in the knowledge of God. I mean, that's what they believe. But the idea that there is going to be this subtle way to get the whole world to accept the Noahide laws and then say, oh, actually, we believe Christians are idolaters and you just signed on the dotted line saying that they should be beheaded, so let's start beheading them. It's... It's mind-boggling. And the idea that, that rabbinic law is going to rule the Muslim world, is going to rule communist China, is going to rule anti-Semitic Europe, is, is going to rule America with tens of millions of evangelicals. I mean, it's, it's so preposterous. The only way you could possibly argue it is to say, well, this is going to happen with the Antichrist. So go, well, let's focus on what it says about the Antichrist. Second Thessalonians 2, it says that he's going to proclaim himself as God. So the last thing he's going to be doing is enforcing laws against idolatry when he proclaims himself as God. So it's, it's really bogus, but it's got a lot of people scared. Watch the videos where we get into it in depth. Ask your friend to watch. And then I have a book coming out in the fall on contemporary Christian anti-Semitism, 
where I have a whole detailed chapter on Noahide Law Hysteria. So with all respect to those who take this seriously and think it's really going to happen, it's, it's just the latest fad of the Jews are going to take over the world and start killing people. Just the latest manifestation of an old anti-Semitic lie. So thank you for asking, and I'm very glad to answer. So make sure you go to the website. you get a lot more info, okay? Thank you so much. You are very welcome. 866-34-TRUTH. You know what scares me on a certain level is that when I'm just about the masses of people, once they believe a lie about something and you come with truth, they then think that you're lying when you present the truth. It's sad, isn't it? All right, we'll be right back. Take your calls and we'll talk about Jewish celebration of the Talmud. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I was walking this morning to the synagogue with my friend, and he got, um, there were many people, like, to a black woman, and they started cursing him, like, we're, we're here to kill the Jews and Jews are not meant to be here, and uh, all kinds of cuss words. It's one thing to say, why is there tension in community? Why is there tension between Asians and Hispanics, or between blacks and Jews, or between this group and that group? Yeah, you have tensions, you have various things that happen, misunderstandings, and that's why it's imperative, friends, for community leaders to get together leaders of each different group and to sit down and to try to understand why are things going on and how can we address these. Now, if the community leaders themselves have hostility, then you have a problem. Then then you have a real problem. And especially if community leaders on either side are inciting anger and inciting hatred and inciting violence. The fact is we must draw serious attention to what is happening around America It is shouting to us to speak and to act. And we must fight misinformation and lies and fear-mongering with truth. This is Michael Brown. Thanks for tuning in to The Line of Fire, 866-348-7884, with any Jewish-related question. Uh, Yeah, this is the typical nonsense, the typical mindless comments that foster hatred. Here's a comment by Seth on our YouTube chat. Kosher slaughter is enough proof for me that Jews follow Satan. Seth, what on earth are you talking about? Kosher slaughter is meant to be as humane as possible to the animal and then to be meticulous to make sure the blood is drained from the animal in accordance with Torah law. To say that that's proof that they're following Satan, I, friend, you are sadly deceived. But this is, this is what we are dealing with all the time. And, uh, yeah, just, just checking out this one graphic here. Yeah. <clears throat> Jew hatred is alive and well. It's inspired by 
Satan, for the record. All right, so before I go to the phones, the Siyum Hashas just took place, the completion of the study of the Talmud in seven and a half years. Now, honestly, to, to study the Talmud, to learn the Talmud adequately does not take seven and a half years. Maybe 75 years if you're brilliant and you start at an early age and spend many hours a day on it. It's tremendously difficult. The reasoning, the streams of logic are very challenging. Uh, one rabbi once explained it to me that you, you, you study a passage, you learn a passage. It's called learning because even if you're teaching it, everyone's learning. That's the concept. So you learn a passage and uh, a sugya, a certain section, and you think you figured it out. And then you read the commentaries and realize you got it completely wrong. Then you read the commentaries on the commentaries and realize you had it right. You think, well, what's the use? It's just mental gymnastics. From the outside, it can seem like that. To a Jew, he's engaged in the study of God's law. And say, for example, Psalm 1, in his Torah, he delights day and night. He meditates on it day and night. Joshua 1, 8, don't let this book of Torah depart from your lips, but meditate on it, so speak it, recite it, repeat it day and night, so you can do everything that's written in it. To a traditional Jew, this is what they're doing. They're studying the intricacies of God's law, just like a mathematician with complex mathematical arguments, laying them out. And, and, okay, what's the purpose of it? You know, you have a math test and you have all these complex arguments. Well, it's math. You're learning math. So that would be the concept that it's considered to be holy. A Talmud Torah Lishma, studying Torah for its own sake, is considered to be the highest form of worship. Now, I'm not agreeing with this. All right, I understand some of the spirituality involved in the study of Talmud. In other ways, I say it's, it's terribly missing the point of God's purpose of the Jewish people being a light to the world through the Messiah. All right, so I'm not a Talmudic Jew. Where the Talmud is lied about and misrepresented, I'll set the record straight. I'm simply saying that it's got to be studied very, very quickly to go through a full page a day, and that's the pace you have to do for seven and a half years to get through this. But this started some decades ago, encouraging people to do this. So it's interesting that in the midst of the worst violent attacks on Jews in New York history, pretty sure I can say that, all right, especially on traditional Jews, the, the worst consecutive series of attacks. I know there have been times of tension and upheaval before, but I think this is the series of worst attacks, and certainly over the last year plus with the synagogue shootings as well, unprecedented violence and attacks against Jewish people that this traditional community with massive police protection gathers together to celebrate the study of Talmud. So from the outside, it can seem arcane, it can seem obtuse, it can seem legalistic, it can seem nitpicking, it can seem dry. I fully understand those sentiments. As one who's learned different parts of the Talmud over the years, certain things can draw you in and other things you think this is not the way God intended it to go. It's my own view that, that was, it was never God's intention that it would get this complex and difficult. And then Talmud's on the beginning, then there are the law codes and the responses by the rabbis. It's massive amount of literature that you keep studying and learning for life, hence Yama Talmud, the sea of the Talmud, all right? So I'm not here to defend the Talmud. I will defend it against lies, such as it sanctions pedophilia or the killing of Gentiles. I'll defend it against those lies because those lies are used to incite Jew hatred. But this is, for a Jewish person, part of their devotion to God and their devotion to Torah and their devotion to, to holiness and to godly living 
and they believe that in doing this, it brings blessing and help to the whole world. That as one ultra-Orthodox rabbi once told me that the, the Jews studying the yeshiva, that's like the umbilical cord of the world. That, that's, that's giving life to the whole world. Traditional Jews in Israel studying 10, 12, 14 hours a day and praying hours a day, they believe that's much more important than them serving in the military and that they are helping to sustain Israel by doing it. That's their viewpoint. The critics say you won't work a job and what's with you. They say what we're doing is much harder, much more challenging and intense, but we're doing it for the good of the nation. Just to give you perspectives. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Dan in Alaska. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dan. Are you there? Are you there? I yeah. Guess hi, not. Dr. Brown. Sorry. Yeah, go, go ahead. Hey, I, my question is, you know, there seems to be such a hard to ignore that since shortly after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the religious Jews haven't had the temple or priesthood or sacrifice. And also before Moses in the time of the patriarchs, they didn't have those and they didn't have the Torah, as we as we know it now, at least. How do they explain that with their dependence on it for their justification? How do they explain that time yeah. period when it... Yes, so they would say that that's the proof that our argument about the cross and the blood of Jesus uh, being essential, they would say that that proves it's not true because they would say, look, they had times without these things like the exile, the Babylonian exile when the temple was destroyed and they were exiled in Babylon, and yet God still expected certain things of them. So the, the traditional Jewish answer would be, number one, that there was preparation leading up to Torah and that, that God began to reveal his law to, to Moses and, uh, excuse me, to Abraham. Uh, and, and it's referenced in Genesis 26 that Abraham kept God's laws and commandments. So they said, see, he had much of this revealed to him by God. But then they believe that the great revelation is at Mount Sinai and that that is the, the height of Jewish spirituality to worship God through obedience to the Torah and that God gave a written law that we all have uh, in the five books of Moses, but he also gave an oral law to interpret, understand, and apply the written law, and that they believe that with the temple not standing, that God has given them other things, such as repentance, such as prayer, such as charitable deeds, even uh, suffering is considered to to pay for sin, like Leviticus 26, after you've been in exile and, and paid for your sins. Uh, Daniel, a righteous man in exile. Ezekiel, a righteous man in exile. So they would say when the temple's not standing, they pray for the, for the rebuilding of the temple. They know that there's a terrible loss for the people of Israel as a whole without the temple, but that the blood sacrifices were always secondary to repentance And without the blood sacrifices, they find passages in the Hebrew Bible that they believe talk about God substituting prayer and other things for those. So that's the rabbinic answer. They pray for the rebuilding of the temple. They feel a loss without the temple and everything associated with it, but believe that God has given other ways. I I deal with this at length in my five-volume series, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. My response would be, it seems quite odd that God would give the Torah and, and make these things so essential, blood sacrifice, priesthood, and all of these things, and then, for the great part of Jewish history, not allow the Jewish people to have access to these things and have the temple destroyed right. in judgment. 
that that means something is terribly wrong. And either there is no atonement, national atonement, and we are under divine judgment because Second Chronicles 7, God says, if the temple is destroyed and you're scattered, then that'll be a sign to the whole world that God judged Israel. So either he has given the new and better way through the Messiah, that as Jeremiah alluded to in Jeremiah 31, because of the failure of the people of Israel to keep the Sinai covenant, God would give a new and better covenant. And that's, that's what's happened through the Messiah. So I agree with you in terms of the larger argument, but that's how a, a traditional Jew would respond. Yeah, I was just trying to understand how that, you know, I mean, obviously the patriarchs are upheld as uh, righteous. And right, leave, so, you know, so we would say, right, we would say that proves righteousness by faith. Paul draws attention to it in, in Romans 4 that Abraham believed before he was circumcised, so he's the father of faith of those who are uncircumcised and the father of faith of those who are circumcised because he continues to believe but traditional Jews would make Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob into Torah observant. Traditional Jews would say that God revealed these things uh, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before they were revealed on Mount Sinai, and therefore they were living as Torah observant Jews. But either way, they'd say once the Sinai covenant's given, it's given, and every Jew is responsible for it. In fact, in, in Jewish thinking, in Jewish thinking, uh, all Jews spiritually were present from all generations at Mount Sinai. And therefore, the Torah is for all generations of Jews. Hey, Dan, thanks for asking. And let's pray that God will continue to draw Jewish people around the world to Jesus Yeshua, the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. camera randomly attacking a Jewish man on a Brooklyn sidewalk. Police say just before 8 Wednesday morning, the 21-year-old victim was walking along Kingston Avenue near Union Street in Crown Heights. That's when a man holding a briefcase punches him in the chest then walks away. Yeah, I'm watching that actual clip. Just just remind you, friends, of what's happening on the streets of New York and cities in America. 866-34-TRUTH on this Thirdly Jewish Thursday. Tony in New York, welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you very much, Dr. Brown. I have a question about biblical Hebrew. Yeah. And my understanding of biblical Hebrew is is limited, so if if I'm off base, please let me know. That's what I'm uh, that's what, one of the reasons why I'm calling. My understanding is that in Hebrew, when a word is doubled like ma'od, which would be very, it intensifies its meaning so that if you have like in the account of the flood in Genesis seven eighteen, I think it says that the waters increased greatly or increased ma'od. But then in the next verse, they say that the waters prevailed exceedingly in the King James, ma'od, ma'od. There's a big difference between greatly and exceedingly. 
But when you get to the New American Standard, it uses the word, I think, greatly for both uh, 18 and 19. It seems as though they don't consider that doubling of the word to be significant. And my question is, how significant is that? And then more importantly, when you get to Isaiah 6-3, where you have the seraphim saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, Lord Almighty, does that mean that his holiness is intensified to an almost, uh, to a huge amount? Something yeah, yeah, almost- uh, it's, it's pretty, yeah, Tony, I appreciate the questions. The first thing is, uh, as much as possible, a translator translation should notice nuances they uh they if there's a difference in the hebrew so between ma'od and ma'od ma'od yeah you should try to add something in all right uh so if you have increased greatly then you have increased very greatly or something like that but the double emphasis yeah that's that's a way of making a point so isaiah 26 3 yetzer yetzer sabuch kitzor shalom shalom the mind uh, stayed on you, you will keep in shalom, shalom, which is sometimes called perfect peace or things like that. So, um, yeah, and then to say God is holy, 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 it's exactly what you'd feel and get, you know, and as Christians declare him holy, 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 or, or, or sing that old hymn, holy, holy, holy. Yeah, it's it's just emphasizing it even more. So it's not it's not mysterious at all. You know what I'm saying? It's it's a way of saying things. But you also have, like, to say someone is double-minded, we say double-minded. In Hebrew, you say leva lev. He's, he's heart and heart. He's mind and mind. Um, but it's pretty self-evident as you read it. And to the extent the translations can bring it out, yeah, they, they should. Um, sometimes it's considered to be minor. But if it's there, if there's a difference, something's doubled like that, yeah, absolutely. But the feeling you're getting is, is the right feeling in terms of reading those things. But thank you. Uh, Tony, I appreciate the question. Uh, let's go over to Jerusalem. Yehuda, welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you. I had a, a, a comment, and then, uh, but but first, I wanted to take issue with something that you said in Please. the past quite a yeah. few times. You you said that you said that uh, Jews don't own everything. And I've I've looked I'm just looking around my neighborhood I I find it's not true. I see that the Jews own all the banks, uh, Bank of Polonia, Bank Discount. Well, you live in Jerusalem. It's Thank a, you. Well, uh, <laughs> it's a small you, technicality. A small technicality. So you think you think that you you think that Jews own all the banks in China and Jews own all the banks in Saudi Arabia and Jews no, own no, all, of course not. Well, that's the point. The, the idea <laughs> no, of course that... not. All right, it's fine. So you're having fun here. Okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, seriously, what I wanted to... Uh, my comment is that I'm hearing um, uh, Christians who, who who think that Zionism is a dirty word. Yeah, it's a shame. And it seems like they're... Yeah, what they're uh, thinking is that Zionism is some kind of secret society with uh, people meeting in hoods and planning the takeover of the world. And uh, what, I'd, what I'd like to ask you to do is every chance to tell, tell them that 
Zionism is simply the belief that the Jewish people have a right to live in the land of Israel or have a homeland in the land of Israel, and to emphasize that at every possible, every possible uh, chance. Yeah, first, Judah, I, I want to tell you how we're seeking to do that. But just a, a quick question: Are are you a observant Jew, a traditional Jew? Um, I'm a, a a follower of Yeshua. Ah, okay. So you're a messianic Jew. Got it. All right. Living in Jerusalem. Yes. All right. Got it. Yeah. Just was That's curious. Right. We get calls from folks from all backgrounds. I was curious. Actually, yes, I know. We have yeah. a recent video called "Is God a Zionist?" Where we answer the question yes. Uh, in my book, Our Hands Are Stained with Blood, the new edition, we, we hit on that again. And then I have a whole chapter in a book coming out, God willing, around September uh, called Since When Is It Sinful to Be a Christian Zionist? And Yehuda, oh, one, problem, yeah, one problem is bad theology that says God's finished with Israel. There are no earthly promises that remain for the Jewish people outside of Jesus, and therefore there'll be no future homeland. That's the first error, bad theology. Then the next error is lies about Israel. Israel's an apartheid state. Israel is genocidal. Israel is doing to the Palestinians what Hitler did to the Jews. And because of that, people have this hatred for for Israel and then a hatred for Jews. And it's just once again uh, an excuse for anti-Semitism. That Look, Israel's not perfect. We understand that. But the demonizing of Israel, the delegitimizing of Israel— is just another manifestation of anti-Semitism. So Yehuda, I am on this. We do this as often as we can. I believe God is a Zionist in that he himself has brought the Jewish people back to their ancient homeland and said, this is what I'm doing. This is where you belong. If you haven't watched the video, friends, go to askdrbrown.org forward slash consider this. You'll see all of our Consider This videos, including the most recent one, Is God a Zionist? Thank you for calling and may the blessing of God be upon you, be Yerushalayim. Uh, let's go to Ricky in Nebraska. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello? Hello, you're on the air, sir. Uh, Dr. Brown, love you, man. Thanks for taking my call. Sure hey, thing. Um, so my question, uh, you've probably gotten it a lot, uh, to be honest with you, but um, I'm asking it just because I've seen it kind of floating around the YouTube uh, world with one particular rabbi, so wanted to ask you and get your opinion before I dive into what he has to say. Yeah. But um, it's about uh, Paul being a corrupter of Hebrew scriptures, couldn't be a Pharisee, um, being an ignoramus, basically. Like, how do, you, how do you respond to rabbis who make the claim, Paul basically being the inventor of it and being a deceiver of, of Orthodox yeah. Judaism? We respond with truth. We demolish the lies. We demolish the misinformation. Uh, volume four of my series, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, I deal very specifically with the question of Paul and the law and the interpretation of verses from the Hebrew Bible. But the best place to go, because you need in-depth answers, is my book, The Real Kosher Jesus, where I have a whole section on Paul and completely demolish these lies. We demolish them through the lips of New Testament scholars. We demolish them through the lips of Jewish scholars. We demolish them through reading through the text carefully. In point of fact, Paul was a genius anointed by God 
who had the incredible insight through the Hebrew Bible, through studying the Hebrew Scriptures, he had the incredible insight that the Messianic era had already broken in, in which case the promised era where Jew and Gentile could worship the God of Israel together as one, that we were now in that era. So it's, it's amazingly rich from Scripture. To this day, the more I study Paul, the more stunned I am by the insight God gave him. Because remember, he had teachings of Jesus and he had the Hebrew Bible. He didn't have the letters of Paul. He didn't have the letters of Peter. He didn't have all this other stuff. So it's quite remarkable. So make the investment, get the real kosher Jesus, study it carefully, and you will be able to demolish these lies and this misinformation. Hey, listen, friends, you want to stand with us against anti-Semitism. You say, I don't, I don't know what to do. Well, we're doing it. We're getting the message out to churches. We're getting the message out to the Jewish community. We are speaking out in many different settings. We are getting the message out into the secular world, into the larger media. You can stand with us. We had a tremendous surge of support at the end of last year in, in response to e- email requests. So thank you for all you who gave. But why not start the year together and stand with us as we fight against anti-Semitism? Go to AskDrBrown.org. And click on Donate. You'll see it right on the homepage. Why not join our support team? Let's start the year together. Lift your voice and say, Dr. Brown, we are standing with you and standing with the Jewish community against anti-Semitism on our watch. AskDrBrown.org. Click on Donate. Together, we're making a difference. Back with you tomorrow. You've got questions. We've got answers.